gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as, you, as, as your servants, and for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work is in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that the grace extends to more and more people, that it may increase thanksgiving to the God of glory, to the glory of God. And so we do not lose heart. Though our outer man is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. A lot of scripture that we're going to look at this morning, but it begins with this statement, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. And as he begins by talking about this ministry, that we're not losing heart, that he's talking about a ministry that God has given to Paul and that we also have received from Jesus. And that is the ministry of taking the gospel to others. In the context of 2 Corinthians, if we would look back in chapter 2, we would see him describe this ministry that he's been entrusted with. He says in chapter 2, verse 14, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphant procession, to spread the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and to those who are perishing. At, um, I'm sorry, I got lost there. To God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, the fragrance from death to death and the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. And so this ministry that Paul is saying that he has been giving is this, uh, this ministry of spreading the aroma of Christ. And as we think, what's an aroma? Yeah, aroma is something we smell, right? Which is an interesting word, isn't it? That he says that the ministry is this aroma-spreading ministry. Now, it's very likely that Paul's referring and tying back to the, some of the Old Testament when they would burn incense and things. There's this aroma that was filling this. But, but as we think about, as we spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are seeking to spread a word that people are like, when you, I mean, think about walking um, into a bakery. And you walk into a bakery, bakery and you go, How's it smell? 
Really good. And what, what's, it, what's it do inside of you whenever you make your mouth water? It makes your mouth water, it makes you hungry, all these things things going on inside of you. And this idea that I'm smelling this aroma and it's like, this is really good. And this gospel message that we are proclaiming is this gospel message, this aroma-spreading ministry. And to many people, it's the smell of life. It smells, it's a delicious smell. But he says that same message that we spread, the same message that gives life, that it smells beautiful to some, it says in this passage it smells like death to others. How does death smell? Yeah, I'm watching many of your faces. You're just like, Ugh. yeah. I mean, you're driving down the road and you've got the possum that didn't make it across the road and I don't know if they ever do, but it's not making it across. He's been there for a day or two and you're picking up the smell in your car and you're like, that makes me hungry, right? no that is not the aroma it's not the aroma of life it's the aroma of death and we're repulsed by it we're like ugh, right and what is and we think about it's the same gospel message to some it's this beautiful life-giving smell but to others they're repulsed by the gospel that message is foolish. That message is something I don't want to hear. You do, you're, you're being intolerant to proclaim that Jesus is the only way. To love others as Christ loved you. That's a message that should not be being told. And it's a smell of death. But Paul says we've been given this ministry. It's a ministry. It's, a, it's an aroma-spreading ministry. It's a life-giving ministry. It is a ministry in the context of chapter 3 that removes darkness. It removes the veil from the eyes of other people. It is a ministry that transforms lives. It is a ministry that helps lives to get brighter. That's what God's given to us. And he says in that, though, he says, Therefore, having this mercy of by the, by the, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. And we might ask a question. Well, if God's given us such an incredible ministry, if it's so significant, how could we ever lose heart doing the work of God? Well, you're all responding like I thought you would. Like, yeah, because it's hard. Right? Living for Christ, seeking to be who he wants us to be, seeking to spread the gospel, seeking to take this message to other people, it can get hard. It can get hard for a variety of reasons. It gets hard sometimes because we're just, we just have a lot going on. That we know in our own hearts that we're, we're fallen, we're not measuring up, and we're trying to live for Christ, and sometimes that that's, gets tough. Relationships are oftentimes get stressful. Family dynamics can be challenging. The workload gets tough. Serving in ministry isn't always glamorous. Just because you're trying to help other people doesn't mean they're all patting you on the back saying, hey, great job, so happy you're helping me. Oftentimes they're less than grateful. And oftentimes in ministry it does get difficult. And when ministry gets difficult, it's easy to lose heart. One of the things that happens is people lose heart in ministry. I think they just kind of decide, you know, I love Jesus, I love him, and I kind of love his people for the most part, and uh, so I'm going to keep coming to church, but I'm really not going to be too involved because it's just, I've just lost heart. I'm just, just discouraged. I'm just downtrodden. I'm just blah with things, and so I'm not giving up on the faith, but it's time for somebody else can serve now. And we lose heart. That's one way we often see people lose heart in the ministry and how it affects them. 
Another way we see people lose heart in ministry is we, we are people who are committed to the Word of God, that we believe that this is the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. We believe that this Word has power to transform lives. And as we teach this Word, as we talk about this Word, oftentimes we see God do some wonderful things in the life of other people. But sometimes we can be in a season of drought. And we're being very, very faithful, teaching the Word of God, but there's not much response. It's like we're planting and we're planting and we're watering and we're watering and we're not seeing many results from it. And in God's sovereignty, that that's just the season he sometimes has us in. And whenever we're in that season, it can be easy to lose heart. And oftentimes, though, rather than losing heart and saying, well, I'm just going to kind of check out, sometimes we think, well, we need to come up with better ideas. We need to come up with better ideas for ministry because apparently just being faithful to God's Word and teaching His truth and loving people wisely with grace and truth and seeking to do ministry well, that's not enough. And so we need to come up with other ideas. And in verse 2, look what Paul says. He says in verse 2, they are renouncing disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. But with an open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. He says, even if our gospel is veiled, so even if people aren't listening to the gospel, even if they're not paying attention to it, he says, it is veiled because it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of the wor- this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And what he's saying is that that we have this life-giving, light-giving message. And as we proclaim this message in this beautiful glory of Jesus Christ, that God has loved us enough to send a Savior to rescue us from the wrath that we deserve, to restore a relationship with God, he's done all that for us. Oftentimes that's veiled. People are like, so? And, And now, If God's turned the lights on for us, we're like, how can you just say so? Do you not get this, what Jesus has done for us, but absolutely blind, blind to it? And so we think, well, then maybe we need to come up with strategies to remove that blindness. And Paul talks about using disgraceful, underhanded ways, practicing cunning, tampering with God's word. We're going to come up with better ideas to reach people than the word of God alone. We see that in our culture. We see that oftentimes the churches get discouraged and so they think we're going to come up with a plan to reach people that is not dependent on the Word of God. We're not abandoning the Word of God, but what we're going to do is try to find other ways to draw people to Jesus and help them like Jesus. And if they like Jesus in some way, maybe they'll be open to the gospel. And so maybe we try to do that with like good works and ministries of service, which again can be very good things for the right reasons. We can think about just we want to have the right music, have the right lights, have the right fog machine, have, the, have all the right things to put on the right show, and that will attract people. And then if we can attract them, maybe they'll like Jesus. But the reality is it's veiled. There's a veil over them, and so none of those things can pierce that veil. We think about the crazy things churches can do. This is the craziest one I've seen. Is, um, this is in England. In this beautiful, incredible cathedral, beautiful stained glass in the back that talks about the, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, these, largely these churches are empty. Nobody comes. 
And they're empty because they abandoned the word of God several decades ago. So they're, they're empty. But they're realizing, how can we get people interested in the things of God? So what do we do? We build a giant slide in the middle of our cathedral. And people will come. They'll come because then they'll see that God is a fun-loving God. And a fun-loving God, they build that. He's a fun-loving God. And this is a permanent thing in this. I mean, this isn't like a, a, a bouncy house, blow-up thing. This is that. And the idea is they want to say, this is what will attract people to God. And we see that and think, well, I mean, it's, they did it pretty well done and all that kind of stuff. But it's amazing how it hides the gospel message in the stained glass. And I would, I would say to you as well that whenever we try to attempt to reach hearts by ways other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, that what we're going to have is a, is a playground. And what we're going to have is a carnival. And when Paul describes this in his message, he says we refuse to practice cunning. We're not going to tamper with God's word. That we, we're not going to put on this show and expect that to pierce a darkened heart. I mean, listen, people think Jesus stinks like death. And, and, and to think that, oh, this will make Jesus smell better. I mean, we think that we can, add, we can put the right perfume on Jesus and then people will find Jesus and he'll smell a whole lot better. Listen, the issue is that Jesus smells like death because he confronts us with our love for ourselves. He confronts us with our sin. He confronts us with our unrighteousness and, and the wrath of God that we deserve, that we are confronted with all of that. And we need the hope of the gospel. And so as we understand this, this veil, that we have a responsibility, that we have responsibility as believers to be taking the gospel to others. This gospel message, listen, look what it says in verse 5. He says, for we pro- what we proclaim is not ourselves. We're not going to tell you the reason why you should like Jesus is because we're so great. Okay? We're not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. For we with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So what's he saying? Back a couple weeks ago, we spent time in John chapter 3. And in John chapter 3, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus who came to him at night. And at the end of John chapter 3, it says that people love something more than they love the light. What do they love? They love darkness. Okay? We love darkness because in the, in the light, the light's repulsive to us that tells us what's right, what's wrong. There are standards. Over here in the darkness, I make up my own whatever I want to do. So I love this darkness. And for me to come into the light, what has to happen? Light has to pierce the darkness. And this message, this passage is telling us what is the light that pierces the darkness is us speaking the gospel of Jesus. Another way of seeing this, in the, in the beginning of the Bible, it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In verse 3, and God said, let there be what? Light. And there was light. We think about talking to people who are unbelievers, people who are far from God, who don't know him. They live in darkness. When we begin to speak to them and teach them the gospel that, that there is a God who is our creator and king, 
that, that, that we are made, we are creatures and we're rebels against the holy God. But God in his grace has sent Jesus as a savior and a substitute to come into uh, to this world to pay the debt that we deserve. That if we would repent and believe this gospel that we can be born again. As we teach the gospel, as we proclaim this gospel, we are essentially saying to others, let there be light. Let there be light. God, let there be light in the darkness of their soul. Remove this veil and help them to see the beauty of the gospel, the glory of Jesus Christ. Help them to see that. Because the only way they can see it is if they come out of the darkness, if the veil is removed. That's, that's what the ministry God's given to us. And so because of that, because of this ministry God's given to us, this light-bearing ministry, this ministry of speaking light into darkness, because he's given us this ministry, we do not lose heart. Instead, we confidently, we confidently teach the gospel with this aim, with an aim to, to see others come to know, love, and live for Jesus. That's what God calls us to. He, he, we, and we do this with confidence. We don't lose heart, but we stick with the task that we have been given. And as we do this, what we trust is we trust the power of God's Word. We trust the power of His Word to pierce the darkness, to pierce the darkness of blind eyes. And all of us would recognize that we all too have been there. We all too once loved the darkness. We all, too, were lost in our sin, that we lived according to our own desires. And what did God do? God spoke light into us by a parent, by a Sunday school teacher, by an Awana worker, a pioneer leader, by a camp director. Somebody spoke truth. And this word of God, as this word was spoken, light came in. And the light came in, and we were able to see the glory of the beauty of Jesus in the midst of the darkness of our sins, and we repent, and we believe this gospel. And that's what God wants to do for us. That's what God wants to do for every one of us. And to remember then, as we continue to remember this ministry that we've been given by the mercy of God, we don't lose heart, that we press on in this ministry. Well, Paul continues then in verse 8. He says, but we have this treasure this treasure of the gospel, this treasure of this glory of Jesus, all this, we have this incredible, light-giving, aroma-spreading, life-giving, new covenant ministry. That's this treasure. We have it in jars of clay. Jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs not to God, belongs to God and not to us. And this idea that, that this message we have is in a jar of clay. And in their day, they didn't have water bottles. Okay, they didn't have water bottles, so what they put water in? Clay jars, right? Now, as we think, so I'm going to make the connection, I think, that, that the clay jars in their day are the recyclable water bottles in our day, right? That, 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 that what do people need? They're parched and thirsty. Last week we spoke in John chapter 4, the woman at the well, that Jesus was promising her living water that she was drinking from a well that had a crack in it, and it was not satisfying. So she'd been married to five guys, and she's living with another one. Nothing satisfying. She's thirsty. And what did Jesus say? He's the living water. So this living water of the gospel, this treasure that we have been given, we have it in water bottles. So how significant is the water bottle when you're really, really thirsty? 
The bottle itself, you don't even think about the bottle. You don't even read the label. And you can, I mean, we went to the new grocery store that's behind, um, um, used to be the county market the other day. Because we had the wedding coming up, we bought a whole bunch of water bottles, and they're really cheap. So we bought a whole bunch of them. Guess what we cared about what the label said? Nothing. What are we going to care about next week when it's temperature supposed to be warm during the wedding? What do we care about? That there's water there. We could care less about the bottles, right? Doesn't matter what the bottles look like, okay? And now, we use that. I use that illustration because what do people need? They need living water. The clay pots, the bottle, doesn't make any difference. It was irrelevant to it. I'm just thirsty. But we still need the water bottle, don't we? Because what if I just went to, I can't remember the name of the new store, Save-A-Lot, okay? Plugs for Save-A-Lot. Okay, so go there, and they have, they have water there. What happens if I don't have any bottles? It doesn't do me any good, right? Because what's the job of the bottle? The job of the bottle is to get the water from one place to another, right? To the supply, to the spring, to thirsty people. What's our role as recyclable water bottles? Our role is to be clay pots, recyclable water bottles, that we go to the source of living water, we receive it, we became, become a fountain of living water, is welling up within us. What are we to do? We're to take living water to other people. And so we take it. And, but, but because we still love ourselves, we want other people to kind of pat us on the back, tell how great we are. We think we need a bottle, needs to look really, really good, and put, dress it all up. But the reality is, it's not about the bottle. So that's what Paul says in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. He says, what is it needs to be attractive to people is not the water bottle, but the water. Because you go to the gas station and you look behind the uh, uh, refrigerated glass cabinet there, and what kind of bottles they have there? All kinds of them, right? And the marketers do a great job of advertising because this bottle looks great. So what's in it may taste terrible, but it looks really good. So buy me, right? What happens? See, I think sometimes we think that we need to sell the gospel in a flashy bottle. But see, the challenge is if I sell this drink in the flashy bottle, people are buying the flashy bottle, not what's inside, and that's what happens when we get this all turned around and we put, we put slides in our churches that we, we want to say, this is what's really attractive. Now, taste this water. It's okay, but the slide's really cool. Okay, and so Paul's saying we're trusting God's word. So now, why do we do that? What's the result of trusting the God, word of God? If I'm, I'm spreading this aroma of Christ to a bunch of people who's eyes are veiled, they're blind, and this message, it stinks, it smells like death, what's their response? Well, listen to how Paul was treated. Verse 8, it says, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. He's talking about because we are proclaiming the gospel, people don't like what we're saying. They don't like the smell of this. And so what do they do? He says we're afflicted, we're perplexed, we're persecuted, and we're struck down. Listen, we need to realize that some things don't change. The gospel message, when Paul took it to his world, 
They didn't want to hear it. Many of them did not want to hear it. As a result of that, things got hard for Paul. They got hard for Paul and his team. But they kept going. They didn't lose heart. Because although they were afflicted in every way, it says they, they were afflicted, they weren't crushed. All right, the pressure's on, but we're not getting crushed. I can't get crushed. I've, I've, God's empowering me. He says, I can become perplexed. I don't understand all this. I'm per- I don't understand why, God, I'm trying to serve you and do what you want, but this is really hard, so I'm perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're not going to give up on this. This is the real thing. We're persecuted. Okay? People are give, being hard on us, but we know we're not forsaken. We belong to God. That we're struck down, and so they're beating us up, but we're not destroyed. There's confidence in this gospel message. And so Paul and his team, they're dealing with all this. And why do they not lose heart, and what do they continue to do? Verse 10, we're always carrying around the body of the death of Jesus. Okay, so there's this level, this negative sense of it, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. We're always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. He's saying, listen, we've got this fragrance. The world doesn't like it, but that's what they need. And so we're continuing to take this gospel message, even where people don't want to hear it, because it's, we're saying, let there be light, let there be light, let there be light. And those who don't love the, don't like, those who love the darkness resist that. But guess what? If we keep saying, let there be light often enough, guess what God does? Opens the heart of someone that, 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 that message gets to someone who God, before the foundations of the world, has predestined is going to be saved, and they repent and believe the gospel. That's the confidence we have, that we just keep taking the gospel, keep taking water, because we know there are thirsty people who are going to understand, I'm thirsty, I need something else, and they're going to drink of this. Well, he goes on then in verse 13, he says, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and we also speak. Now you read that and say, what's he talking about there? Have the same spirit of faith, the same spirit of who or what. Well, if we would look at this in, in our notes or if you'd study this, in Psalm 116, turn there with me. Keep your place here. But turn to Psalm 116. So Paul's talking about being beat up. All this is really hard. I'm afflicted in all of these different ways. And yet, he says, I have the same spirit of faith. And he's saying, I have the same spirit of faith as the writer of Psalm 116, because he's going to quote this passage. In Psalm 116, in verse 10, it says this, I believed, even when I spoke, I'm greatly afflicted. Okay, Psalm 116, verse 10 I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. What's he saying here? He's saying, I said, I'm greatly afflicted. This is miserable. Life is hard. This is tough. I don't understand. I'm getting persecuted, beat up. All of these things are hard. And so I'm saying that I've been afflicted, and yet I believe. And he's saying, God, I don't understand this. God, this is hard. God, I, I don't understand how all these things fit together. This isn't making any sense to me. And it's hard. And I feel like I'm being crushed. And I feel like all these things are happening. But I believe. But I believe. I trust you, God. 
So I'm not going to allow those who are speaking against me, those who want to do me damage, I am not going to let them have a win. I'm going to stay faithful. I'm going to not lose heart. I'm going to press on. I'm going to continue to trust the word of God. I believe. Even when I'm afflicted, I continue to believe. And so back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul declares that. And he says, so we believe. And because we believe, what do we do? We're going to keep on speaking. We keep on declaring this gospel. Verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring, us in, bring you into his presence. What's, his, what's the root and ground of his hope? That's a test. Give me an answer. What does he say in this verse? What is his hope in verse 14? And why does he press on? Because of what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. His hope is that the resurrection of Jesus guarantees my resurrection. And I know that I can't lose. They can strike me down and they can kill me and they can do what they want with me, but I know that this resurrection is true and because Jesus raised, I will be raised as well. And listen, this oftentimes in theology, people want to, in some liberal theology, want to minimize the resurrection of Jesus really didn't happen. It's just a spiritual metaphor kind of stuff. Listen, if it's just a spiritual metaphor, these kind of truths make no sense. The God who raised Jesus will raise us also and bring you into his presence. It's like, okay, if you know he's going to raise me spiritually and all that kind of stuff, why do I endure the suffering? I endure the suffering because my physical body is going to go into the grave. And if it's about a spiritual resurrection, why bother with all this? I mean, a spiritual resurrection is going to happen. I mean, this, it, it doesn't make a difference. But there's a spiritual reality that those who God raised from the dead because Jesus raised from the dead... He knows he's going to be raised. Okay, what, what I mean by that is, if Jesus didn't physically raise from the dead, how do we know that we're going to be spiritually raised? Right? I mean, a tomb, there's still a dead body in a tomb somewhere, a dead body somewhere in Israel, and I say, well, Jesus died, but there's a spiritual resurrection coming to sometime near you. Why can, why can I believe that? How can I believe that? Jesus died. He's still dead. He talked about a resurrection. How do I know that he spiritually rose from the dead. Okay? And the resurrection is based on the physical resurrection of Jesus. So he goes on in verse 15, says, For it is all for your sake, so that the grace extends to more and more people, and it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And this is an amazing statement. Why does Paul keep going? He says, so, look what it says, that grace extends to more and more people. Why do I keep telling more and more people about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because I want the, gospel, the grace of Jesus Christ to spread to more and more people. I want others to experience the grace that I've experienced. I want others to know the grace that I know. I want the world to know this. And as this grace expands, as the gospel goes out, and as people believe the gospel, look what happens. So that it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So, what happens? We share the gospel. Let there be light. We're speaking light. People believe the gospel. Grace is expanding. As grace is expanding, people believe the gospel. They repent. And what do they do? They give praise to God for their salvation. And so what is the goal in all this? Is ultimately that God, God's glory would be magnified. 
that there would be more and more and more people inhabiting eternity because we are faithfully taking this gospel in jars of clay and water bottles to people who don't want to hear it because we have confidence that God's grace will pierce the darkness. People will be born again. They will give praise to God because of their salvation and through all of eternity, God's going to be glorified. That's why we take the gospel. Yes, we certainly, we don't want people to go to hell. But we also want God to be glorified by more and more and more and more and more people. And that's what salvation does. And I would, I would ask the question, is that what salvation's done for you? As a follower of Jesus Christ, that your life is about giving thanks to God and that he is receiving glory because you are so grateful for his great love for you, that you have turned from loving yourself to loving him. You see, that, that's the goal of the gospel. The goal of the gospel is the glory of God being manifested in our lives and through us, that we would live according to his truth. And this morning, that in a room like this, it's made up of people who, are, who have confessed their sins and have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior and, and have confidence because their life is matching up to this confession that they have and we have assurance of salvation. But I'm confident in a room like this there are others here who this whole idea of glorifying God and my salvation being all about glory of God and where I fit into this, I'm guessing some of you are still trying to figure this out. And I would encourage you, get this nailed down. To understand and to, to truly say, God, open my eyes to see the light of this glory so that my life is truly being transformed and lived for you. And for those of you this morning who may have walked in this morning or somebody brought you in and there's this, maybe the smell isn't that great here, okay? And you're hearing this gospel, I'm like, I'm not sure I like this message. I would encourage you, open your eyes a little bit. Just, just, just give us a chance. Let us, let us talk to you a little more about this. We would love to help explain, answer some of the questions that you have to help wrestle through some of these because we, we are confident this glory and this grace and this transforming power of the gospel, we believe that it can help you. I would encourage you this morning to, 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 to ask us. We'd love to help you. Ask the person who brought you this morning. They would love to help you see this. And so as we put this together, what this, we begin to recognize in this is that in this passage that we are called to demonstrate the power of the gospel when things get difficult, that we don't lose heart. When we're afflicted, we're not crushed. When we're persecuted, we're not forsaken. That we demonstrate the power of the gospel, that we trust Jesus when things get hard. And then we trust his strength. We trust his strength to empower us to give of ourselves for the good of others, that we will love others. I give of myself. I'm trusting his strength. And then I recognize that I need to keep on believing. And I, keep, I don't lose heart. I keep believing. I keep speaking, even through trouble. And even through trouble, we do all this to the glory of God. Things may be hard. May be easy for us to lose heart, and we want to change gears or shift strategies. We are called to be committed and faithfully proclaiming God's word, taking light into darkness. And then he says this in verse 16 So we do not lose heart. It's where he started the chapter, it's where he ends it. We don't lose heart. And he says, Though our outer man is wasting away. Just curious, I'm getting amens on that one. 
right? The outer man wasting away. We're getting older, wrinkles and things hurt, right? Though our outer man is wasting away, this physical water bottle is beginning to deteriorate. The clay pot has some chips and nicks and all that. It's kind of coming, it's decaying. So the outer man is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Is that true of you? Is your inner self being renewed day by day? You think, well, how would my inner self be renewed? Your inner self is renewed by all the Sunday school answers you would give to that question. Read your Bible. Work on memorizing some scripture. Think on the Bible. Go to church. Talk to other believers. The, the disciplines of the everyday Christian life help us to be renewed. We continue to remind ourselves of the gospel. Things are hard. Why are things hard? Oh, yeah, I live in a fallen, broken world where there is a God who is working to redeem all things, and he starts in us, and he's transforming us to his glory. Oh, yeah, I'm renewed by that. Rather than I watch the news and listen to politics and think, man, things are just so bad. And I'm grumbling and my, oh, I'm getting old and I'm grumbling inside too. The inner self's not getting renewed. What happens to the inner self? It's getting grumpy and grouchy and nobody wants to be around you. Right? Because we need to be renewed daily. So he says, now, don't lose heart. Outer stuff's wasting away. Don't worry. Focus on the inner self being renewed. Verse 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I would say, if that Bible, that verse isn't circled or underlined in your Bible, I would encourage you to circle it and underline it because you're going to need it. This momentary affliction, physical problems, family problems, emotional struggles, relationship problems, all of those things, then it says to them, they're momentary afflictions. Some of you think, yeah, but my moment has gone on for a really extended period of time. It's been a long, long moment. And, and I want, that's it's right, I, I understand that. And there are some of the afflictions that some of you will deal with, and some of us may deal with, that won't end until our life is over. But I would tell you that it's still considered a light and momentary affliction because it is preparing an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What do I want you to hear? Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. There's a God who is at work in all of this. There are purposes bigger than your immediate suffering and, the, and, and relief from that. God is using this to, pre, to present and to prepare this eternal weight of glory. Well, you say, well, how do I deal with that, though? This goes on and on and on. Well, back up a verse. I have to be renewed day by day, the inner self. That's what it takes. My inner man must continually be renewed to uphold me in these ongoing troubles. And then he says in verse 18, As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. Again, where do I have to have my eyes fixed? Not on what I see, feel, taste, touch. That's where my hope can't be in that. Because all those things are going to crumble. None of those things are going to satisfy. All of those things are the, the leaky well. It's not going to work. So we look not on the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. These unseen truths of God. For the things that are seen are transient. Everything you see is going to go away sometime. But the things that are unseen are eternal. They last forever. And I want us to look at one more verse 
as we wrap up this morning. Hebrews chapter 12. So we look at not the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. Another way of saying that is that we live by faith. We live by faith. And in chapter 11, chapter 11 of Hebrews is all about faith. By faith, by faith, by faith. All these people, they were living for what is unseen. The unseen promises of God, the unseen character of God, the unseen God himself. They're living for what is unseen. And as we navigate through chapter 11, we have this great cloud of witnesses, of people who would say to us, keep going, don't lose heart. These are momentary light afflictions and eternity is, is waiting and it's great and it's all going to be worth it. And so he says in verse, chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings closely to us and let us run with endurance. Let us not lose heart. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us run with endurance. Let us look to Jesus. Fix our eyes on him. You say, well, I can't see him. That's the point. He is what's the unseen thing that we're fixing our eyes on. And as we fix our eyes on what is unseen, that allows us to have strength and to press on for the things that are hard that we do see. And so as we recognize that, that God would call us then in this section to confidently endure temporary trouble as you faithfully pursue eternal glory. It's a contrast. Temporary troubles, eternal glory. God's using these temporary troubles for a greater good. We would see as well that we need to keep our eyes fixed on what is unseen. Keeping our eyes fixed on what is unseen, and we do that by faith. And so as we conclude this morning, I want to encourage us, church family, to know that we are called to teach the gospel with an aim to persuade others to know, love, and live for Jesus. That we would trust His power and not our wisdom that we have opportunities to demonstrate the power of God when life gets tough. When ministry gets hard, that is whenever the gospel should shine brightly from us as we are looking to what's eternal and not what's temporary, that we see this in a bigger context, and that out of the love for Christ and in others, that we would confidently endure these temporary trials knowing that there's eternal glory ahead of us. And so this morning as we conclude, I would encourage you to consider, have you lost heart? Are you on the edge of that and doubting and discouraged? I'd encourage you, look to Jesus. Look to him who is unseen. Trust his power. Believe this gospel. And then recognize that we are these clay jars, these recyclable water bottles that have a purpose and a ministry. And God wants us to get living water to those who need it. And that we would do that with passion and joy and great the great attractiveness as they would watch us live faithfully for him. Well, let us pray. Father, we rejoice that you love us. Lord, and you have demonstrated that love for, through these truths. Lord, you have shown us the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Lord, you have revealed to us this knowledge of the gospel and the person of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts. 
Lord, that we would not lose heart, that we would be a people who are eager to see you use us, a people who are renewed day by day in this internal person. Lord, as we spend time in your word with other believers, meditating on your truth, Lord, that we would be renewed. And so, God, we pray that you would help us. And Lord, this morning I pray for those who are here today who love you and know you and are walking with you. God, I pray you'll encourage them with these truths. Lord, those who are, who, who are, who are stumbling, those who are walking inconsistently, Lord, I pray that they would fix their eyes on you that they wouldn't primarily just try harder, God, but they would trust you more. And Lord, for those this morning who are trying to figure this out and sorting through this, I pray that you would pierce the darkness and remove the veil, that they would be able to see. And I pray that they need questions answered or things that they're struggling through, that we would be able to help them to wrestle through some of these, these challenges. But God, most of all, we thank you for Jesus and help us as a church to have our eyes fixed on him. And God, we love you. We need you, and God, help us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.